In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels are ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. So a few words of uh, background as we start a new series. So we are Baptists, and Baptists don't necessarily always follow the liturgical calendar, so let me just say a word about that. So there are really are two calendars. There's the secular calendar that our society follows, and we follow as well. So for example, Valentine's Day, we just passed, that's part of the calendar um, that we note. Christmas is also New Year's Day. You can think through the days that our culture celebrates. Mother's Day will be coming up, Easter, and there, there can be a crossover between the two. So there's the secular calendar, Halloween, see what I mean? But then there's also a liturgical calendar, and what the church has done over the years, not just our church, but the church from the early centuries, has thought of the progression through the church year in light also of the story of Christ. And so, for example, at Advent, we reflect intentionally on the incarnation and what it means that Jesus comes into our world. That's Advent. We've just finished. And then Lent is leading up to Easter, and Lent is particularly thinking in terms of following Jesus to the cross and the issue of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? And then following, uh, then we have Easter. Following Easter, we have Pentecost and so on. So you get the sense of following the story of Jesus through the year chronologically, but we are also doing it theological themes. So that, that's the idea. So today, we begin the series of and reflections on Lent. Lent starts seven Sundays prior to Easter Sunday. So many Baptist churches don't follow the liturgical calendar, um, but many churches do, and certainly different denominations follow the liturgical calendar. I think there's value in it because it highlights certain themes that um, need to be focused on. So that's what we've been doing over the years. So that's the, the opening bit there, Lent 2024, all right, the liturgical calendar. Now specifically, we're thinking of a journey to renewal. So what I would like us to be reflecting on is how do we renew our faith through this journey of Lent? How might we know renewal? We began the service where 
the praise tunes with Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. The Spirit, we want the Spirit's renewing power in our lives and in our community of faith, in the broader community. So a journey of renewal, to renewal. Thirdly, then, we look at the Gospel of Mark. So we have four Gospels, and Mark is pretty much considered to be the first Gospel. So the first Gospel that was written was this short, rapidly moving Gospel called Mark. And it was written only 20, 30 years after uh, Christ's crucifixion. Before that, there, there wasn't a Bible. There was an Old Testament, but there was no New Testament, right? There were just fragments, just bits. And now we have a gospel. So you can just imagine the first believers, Christians, your brothers and sisters in the faith many years ago, reading the first gospel, gospel of Mark. Jesus taught in Aramaic, but the gospel is written in Greek. So not everybody could read it, but the leaders could read it, and they would preach and teach it to the community of faith. It's pretty much understood that the Gospel of Mark was written by Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. We hear about him in the Gospels. And the instructor for Mark is Peter. It was written in Rome. And so Peter is the one, is the source, as he leads and encourages Mark as he writes that gospel. And so all of that then takes us to this text. Coming from Peter, through Mark, cousin of Barnabas, Barnabas and Paul, and now we reflect on it today. So it's kind of an interesting story, and that's we're fortunate very fortunate, not only to have Mark, but to have all the Gospels and the whole, the whole New Testament. It took a couple of hundred years for this to be all put together. Here we are now. So we're going to look at a map just as we start up, and I think this is going to do some circles. Let's see if that works that way. There we go. Look at that. She. Cheryl's very good. Cheryl's away today, but she did this work. Nazareth, that circle of red is Nazareth. That's where Jesus grew up. Nazareth is just a town of about 500 people, max 500 people, 450 to 500. They know the size basically from the archaeological work that has been done there. It was not on a main road. It was an out-of-the-way little town. Nazareth is not even named, I've mentioned before in the Old Testament. It's not even named. So Jesus grew up in a little town. That's his hometown, Nazareth. He lives there for 30 years before he branches out to start his public ministry. And he begins that with the baptism that we're going to look at this morning by John, John the Baptist. So not in a big city, right? Didn't grow up in Rome, city of a million people. Didn't grow up in Corinth. Didn't even grow up in Jerusalem, capital of Israel. He grows up in a small 
town. So some of you I know are from rural communities. You have that in, in link in common with Jesus. Secondly, we have Jerusalem. Jerusalem is down there. That's the main city. So you can see the distance. That's interesting because Jerusalem is in Judea. Nazareth is up in Galilee. Jesus is from Nazareth of Galilee. And in between, there is Samaria, which was foreign territory. So now Galilee is considered far away. Galilee was only, it's called Galilee because it's shaped more or less like a circle. Galilee is circle. And it's only about 45 miles long. We spend time down in Prince Edward County, and you know what? Galilee was pretty much the size of Prince Edward County. Not real big. That's where Jesus spent his time. And its borders are the Sea of Galilee, water, on one side, and then on the other side, the Mediterranean Sea. So Galilee is, on either side there's water, and that's important because fishing was an industry, as well as, obviously, pasture land, farming. That's what was going on in Galilee, either fishing or farming. They found presses in Nazareth uh, that were from the time of Christ, and two different types of presses. There were olive presses, and there were wine presses. They were growing grapes, and they were growing olives. All of that going on in Jesus' life. That's where he is surrounded. I just find all of that quite interesting. So those are part, you can, to try to get a sense of the ethos of Jesus and where he was, that's what's going on in his day. So we look at the beginning of the text. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. We've just seen those spots. And was baptized by John, his cousin, in the Jordan River. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. We're talking about Lent and the renewal of our faith. That's where we want to go. And it begins with this story of Jesus' baptism. So Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River. If you go back and read the first few verses of John, we see that his baptism was about repentance for sin. Well, we know that Jesus, as well as Mark, we know that Jesus did not sin. He was a perfect human. It's hard to believe when we are so sinful, but Christ did not sin. So when he is baptized, he is baptized not for repentance of sin, but he is going into the water in connection with you and me. He is in solidarity with us. In our brokenness, in our fragility, Jesus looks around. He knows all the people around there. He knows us today, and he knows that we are sinful. We are broken. We have done things that aren't totally right, right? We've all done, we've all tripped up, messed up somewhere in our lives. Darlene started thinking in terms of the black community and the sorrow songs that they were singing. And so much of that came out of their own pain and their own hurt. The, the oppression that they experienced. 
And so Jesus, in his baptism, is, is in solidarity with all of us in, in our hurts. So that we note right off the bat. Because when Jesus is baptized, that's what he's doing. He's not doing it for repentance of sin. He's doing it to link with you and with me. Because he feels how messed up we are, how screwed up we are, how divided we are in ourselves, true self, false self. Jesus knows that, and he links up with us in identity with us. Powerful beginning. He's baptized, and when he comes up, we're told that the, he has a vision. And he sees that the heavens are torn apart. It literally is split apart. He sees the heavens split and by, way, that, by the way, that same verb is used after his crucifixion when the veil in the temple is split. We just sang that song in Jesus' Messiah. We used those lyrics. The splitting, same thing here. But symbolically, the, the splitting is a, is a sign that the heavens are open between heaven and earth. God is communicating to us and to Christ in that experience. That's what's going on in that. The heavens split. Communication. And then a spirit, the spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. So what is Jesus seeing? You can imagine this dramatic sky, and then a vision of, the, of a dove settling on him. A dove settling. Doves are gentle, are they not? You see a dove landing on a, you know, a wire, a telephone wire, it just sort of flutters there, or it flutters on down. They're not a fast bird, they're, a, they're, they're calm, they're collected, gentle. And the Spirit descends on Jesus in that same way. The Spirit of God telling Christ that, hey, I am with you. God's presence is with you, anoints him. And then, particularly, there's this voice from heaven, which only he hears in this text. You are my son, the beloved. That's what kicks off Jesus' ministry. He is confirmed in his public ministry by this voice. Jesus knows something up. I'm talking about Jesus and his, and his humanity. And he goes to the Jordan... Because he's heard that his cousin is baptizing in the water, he, in the Jordan, he wants to identify with this. And then he hears this voice, you are my son, the beloved. So you'll notice what's written here. Again, there's communication from heaven to earth, a sign of God's presence, of acceptance. And key is that Jesus is God's servant, because the book of Isaiah has all of these servant songs, they're called. Book of Isaiah is referenced more in the New Testament than any other Old Testament book. And many of the references have to do with these servant songs. You can start looking at them. Psalm, I mean, chapter 50, 51, 52, 53. You start there. The servant songs of Isaiah. Jesus sees himself reflected in these servant songs. So here is his commissioning. And we note also in Mark 9, 7, when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration with his disciples, there is another voice. And this time the voice says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. 
Here it's, you are my son, the beloved. In Mark 9, it's a word that the disciples hear, this is my beloved son, hear him, listen to him. That's very much a Lenten statement. Will we listen to Jesus? In the midst of all of our busyness and all the other voices that you are listening to week by week, will we listen to Jesus? So Jesus is baptized. We are going to have a baptism on March 31st. Lesleen is going to be baptized. Lesleen, who went to Bolivia with us. We had baptism service in Bolivia. So Lesleen and others, I hope, will be baptized Sunday, Easter Sunday. Won't that be exciting? So if you have not been baptized, I would encourage you to consider as we journey with Jesus, renewal, to be baptized. What is baptism about? I note it's about identity. His baptism. He realizes I am indeed commissioned to public ministry and I will go and do it. And he starts, we'll see, his public ministry in Capernaum. That's where he starts. The kingdom of God is here, drawing near. We'll look at that text. But it's also about your identity, my identity. When you were baptized, if you've been baptized here, that's when you took your stand publicly that you identified with Jesus and you're going to follow him. I did that when I was a young lad at Danforth Gospel Temple over in the east end of Toronto. I was about 12. So how much you understand when you're 12, I don't know. But that's when I did it. I understood enough. You know, follow Jesus. can happen at any age, young or old. But that's when we confirm our identity, our identity in Jesus, who I really am, who you are. I will follow Christ. No matter what. You take stand, right? That's the essential thing. I will follow him. Whether you're 12, you're 20, you're 40, you're 60, I will follow him. So that's what we note here. So if you have not been baptized and you're thinking about it, please come and talk to me, okay? Baptism is about identity. And we see that in this famous text from Galatians. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. By the way, Galatians is considered the first book that Paul wrote. So it's very early. So note, for in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptism. And they're talking about that, not just symbolically. You were baptized. And then on to this famous statement, there is no longer Jew or Greek, no longer slave or free, no longer male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And then note, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. All those links, links back to Abraham, all to the foundation and choosing of Israel, becoming heirs, 
even as Isaac and Jacob and so on, they were heirs, we are heirs. We are just this long lineage coming through our baptism. So it's powerful stuff. We don't see all that, right? You hop in a tank and you get wet and you get dunked and you think, well, that's the end of the day. Well, there's a lot more going on than that. Stuff that we don't see. And one day you'll note the import of it. Spiritual reality. Beneath the physical reality. That's what life's about. And we're calling this waking up. Waking up to what? Waking up to life. That's what we're waking up to. Okay, so we have the baptism, right? Number one. Number two, we hear the text. Note, the gentle spirit we just saw is now no longer so gentle. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, Jesus. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. This is a different scene. The Spirit drives Jesus. He's compelled to go. Something in him just compels him to go farther out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And the wilderness is a place of what? Of revelation for Jesus. He's there 40 days. We're told that Paul in Galatians was also driven into the wilderness and he spent four, three years in Arabah, the desert, learning, growing. Here Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness. So it's revelation, but it's also testing. And I would say testing here is the key word in the Gospel of Mark. In Matthew, in Luke, the focus is more on the temptation of Christ. It's the same word. Word is testing or temptation. Translates both ways. But in Mark, it's more about testing. Jesus is tested. Jesus is disciplined. Jesus is going deeper in who he is so that he can engage this three years of ministry, which he knows is ultimately going to lead to the cross. So it's, he's been sharpened, he's been strengthened, testing. And testing is not just for Jesus. Testing was a challenging time for Christ, and he emerges stronger because of it. But testing also happens in your life and my life. We are tempted, are we not? We are tempted by sin, we all know that. But Mark is saying we are also tested. We're disciplined. That maybe we don't think about so much. In our lives, we go through struggles, do we not? Whatever the struggles are. Struggles in your family, struggles at your work, physical struggles, whatever it might be. Illness, we are facing struggles. Those are challenges. They come to all of us. They come at different times, but they will come. And a bunch of you already know that. You've been through a bunch of them. But that is part of our journey. So testing is decision time, if you like. 
Testing is saying, okay, I am following Jesus. Let's just say you were baptized, and now you enter into hard times. Well, it's decision time. Will we hang in there? In our conflict, in our struggles, will we keep saying our yes instead of no? Jesus faced that. And you face it, and I face it. That is part of our journey, definitely. And when the gospel writer Mark, under Peter's tutelage, makes that point, they know what they're talking about. Soon Peter's in jail. Maybe he was in jail at the time. He's going to die as a martyr. He knew what testing was about. Tradition is that Peter was crucified upside down. And he did it because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified even as Christ. So there's testing. Challenges. That's all going on with Jesus as he begins. He's baptized, he's tested, and now he starts his ministry. Now after John was arrested, or handed over, is literally the verb, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, not the bad news, the good news, saying the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news. That little statement, after John was arrested, you remember that, right? Herod, who is the governor, if you like, of Galilee, he's the head honcho in Galilee, doesn't like John the Baptist and has him, what? Arrested and finally beheaded. That's testing. John was tested. And it's after Jesus sees John thrown into prison that Jesus decides, this is my time. This is the time. This is my time now to enter into ministry. 30 years in Nazareth, 30 years living in a small town off the main road. Now is the time. And he comes with those words. John presaged, I've mentioned that. Oops, it's skipping. Sorry, maybe you can hit that, Dave. Next one. Yeah. Next one, please. Another one. Now it's going. Go ahead a couple. <laughs> no? All right. A little. The time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come. So what do we see? Time fulfilled is Kairos time. This is the time. This is decision time. Kairos time is the word kairos for the word time there in English. Time is, there's different words in Greek for English. I mean for time. And this one has a sense of opportunity. The opportunity is now there. And the opportunity is a crisis point. 
And so again, for you and for me, what does it say? The good news of God has come, the time was fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. It's an opportunity to say yes, but it's also a crisis. Will we say yes or not? The good news of God comes, not the bad news. The good news is that God loves you. God loves me. He's there for you. He's there for me. That's good news. Jesus comes announcing that, the Buena Nueva, the good news. The time has come. And it ends with saying, repent and believe. Repent means to turn around. Turn your life around. Talks about making a change in your attitudes. Change your attitude. Repent. An opportunity to say yes. And not only change your attitude, but to believe, which is start changing your pattern of living. Change your life. Not just your attitudes, but your life. Repent and believe in the gospel, Jesus says. It's good news. The good news is that we all have the opportunity to turn around, to repent, and then to make our way to follow Jesus. Believe. Say yes. That's the commitment in yes. Have faith. So the third part of the text is Jesus beginning his public ministry, and that's essentially what it is. It's a word of good news. Change your attitude and change your actions. But many people heard Jesus and didn't, didn't like the, the, the word, didn't want to do it. Why? Well, they didn't want to change their attitudes. They didn't want to change their actions. They preferred the status quo. Things were going well, and they didn't want to change it up. So I'm going to keep doing what I've always done. And of course, if you're living comfortably somewhere in Jerusalem, in a nice home, and people like you, respect you, and so on and so on, you might say, well, I don't really want to change. I like the way things are right now. But Jesus' message is change your attitude and change the way you live. And he calls that good news. And so in this beginning part of Lent, we are invited to hear the good news, to repent, and have faith. Of course, we hear the word repent. Well, it depends where we are, right? It means turn around. But I mean, I don't know. Your situation, there may be things you really want to repent of. It certainly includes that. Repent. But then have faith and look to Jesus. No matter what's happened. The good news is that we can change no matter... God in us can change us. No matter where we're at. No matter where we're at. It's the good news. So having said that, we've looked at the baptism. We've looked at his testing. And now we look at his public ministry. 
Here's his beginning. The kingdom of God is drawing near. Repent and believe. Simple message. So what does that say for us as we conclude, as we start this journey of renewal? Well, I think what it's saying foundationally is that we are invited to live in hope. It begins with hope. No matter what is going on, hope. Hope in God, in Christ, because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So we can think of three parts. There's confidence. Confidence in God. What does that mean? Confidence that he's on your side. Confidence that in your day-to-day journey right now, God is on your side. He's not far away. He's not absent. He's with you. Confidence in that. And then that leads to trust. And the trust is is that Jesus is present with us. I can have confidence that he is present. Present in your whatever that stuff is right now. Present in your family. Present present in your own life. Even when you don't feel it. He is present. That's what hope is. And then finally, there's conviction. So there's these three bits confidence, of trust, and of conviction. And the conviction is that you and I have life. Life. Death is not the last word. Life is the last word. Jesus dies for you and for me at the end of Lent, Easter, and then what happens? He's raised. And because he's raised, we will be raised. So we are invited then to live our lives in hope. And I believe that is the first thing. We were looking at that through Advent. We were considering some of the references to Viktor Frankl. Frankl was in the Nazi camps and after, during the Second World War. He was Jew. Many of the Jewish folks were being killed, you know that, by the Nazis. Frankl survives. But he was aware that those who had hope did better than those who did not have hope. He just saw that. His degree was in psychology and so on. He, he, was, he was very interested in that. Do we have hope or not? Hope. Hope. So you can be struggling with an illness, but hope. You can be looking for a job, but hope. Because God is with us. He is with you. He's with me. Our hope is in him. And that's the first step of renewal. So it's not based in us, it's based in Jesus. It's based in what he's done for us. The good news is draw near, repent, and believe the gospel. So may we do that. May we repent, may we believe the gospel, may we keep saying yes, and as a result of that, we go forward in hope. That's the beginning of our Lenten story. In Christ's name, amen.